Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com. How many of you guys are familiar with Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, and all that type of stuff? Okay, some of you guys, maybe not. I, I don't know where you've been the last, all your life. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's a dangerous thing when a man gets bored. Now, I could share a lot of personal stories <laughs> right now about this time, but we know it's a dangerous thing when men get bored. And I was reading a blog post by Brady Boyd this week, and he was talking about this idea of, of hobbits, and that's the name of the creatures, the small little creatures that lived in this safe little place called the Shire in Tolkien's book. Uh, hobbits are careful creatures. They are private. They enjoy their privacy. That's their, their ritual in their life, and they enjoy the, the comfort. They're suspicious of anything that will disrupt their lifestyle that's um, very, very comfortable and predictable, and they value safety. They value being well-fed. Uh, they value uh, being far from any possibility of enemies and danger. And in that life, they, they just, they like that. And that's the way that the Shire, that place where they live, that's, that's the values. Those are the values of the Shire. They didn't dream of any adventures. They didn't dream of slaying any dragons. They didn't dream of finding any lost treasures or going on any type of mishaps or adventures of any kind. And so what happens in the story is, is Gandalf, the, the old wizard, cam, comes in and invites ultimately invites Bilbo, one of the hobbits, into this adventure. And to everyone's surprise, Bilbo says yes. And he says, I'm going on an adventure. And he starts off on this great adventure. And he's called out of his boredom, and he's called into this great adventure. Now, the, the stage I want to set for you today is I believe a lot of us are like the hobbits. <laughs> I believe we value predictability. We value our comfort. We value being extremely well-fed in our culture. We value uh, safety. We value being far from our enemies. We value those things. Those are kind of what our values are made up of, predictability, routine, uh, and that's just the way they liked it. That's just the way we like it. And many times what happens is in our life and in our Christian walk, I could even say, we find ourselves bored from time to time or maybe even frustrated from time to time. Have you ever gone through one of those seasons where you found yourself bored in life, frustrated in life, maybe bored in your walk with God, even frustrated in your walk with God? We go through seasons like that. My son, Sean, said uh, something the other day. And it jumped out at me, and he, he said it, and he'd been thinking about it for a while, and he, he said this, he said, everybody's trying to be normal. Like, everybody is trying to be normal, whatever normal is, so everybody, you know, wants to have this living room set that looks like this, this house, the right number of garages, the right number of cars, the right number of dogs that go with that, the fence. Everybody that you know, pretty much, is all working towards the same type of life. We want to have predictability, we want to have safety, we want to have comfort, we want to have uh, routine, even though we would sometimes get bored with that routine, we're all going after the same thing. We want to have a secure retirement, we want to have all of these things, and that's kind of what we value, and we're all going after that normal. And here's what I want to challenge you with this morning. 
God didn't create you for this world's normal. God created you for his normal. So the question is, then what is God's normal? If we're all searching after this world's normal, what is God's normal? I, I want to suggest to you that your life is a story. It's a story being written. It doesn't mean it's an interesting story. In fact, some of our stories are quite boring, aren't they? If we were to read the pages of our story, we would be extremely bored. We'd put down the novel. But I want to suggest to you that God is calling you into an adventure. Just like Bilbo the Hobbit, he's calling you out of the boredom, out of the frustration, out of the routine, and he wants you to live an adventure. And, and that's what God is doing. God created you for an adventure. You are the adventure story God wants to write. But here's the interesting thing about the adventure story God wants to write in you. It doesn't just happen to you. You have to volunteer for it. You have to say yes to it. You don't get caught up in God's story. See, sometimes we get this false notion, well, I'm just going to be swept up into God's story. No, there are plenty of people who miss God's story because they assumed they'd be swept up into it. But you don't get swept up into God's story. You volunteer for God's story. You sign up for God's story. So we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to look at the first 13 verses, and we'll save the rest for next week. Ephesians chapter 3, but I want to skip to verse 10. It's the key verse. It says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. In other words, God is wanting to do something through the church. Now, we are the church. We've talked about that before. We are the church. God wants to do something through us. How many of you guys have ever heard this statement before? If you want something done right, all right, let's try it again. If you want something done right, how many of you guys, that's you, okay? How many of you guys would just admit that you are like stepping over people sometimes because you're like, they're not going to do it just right. How many of you guys do that with your kids at times? It's like you tell them to do something. You're like, okay, they're going to, come on, how hard is it to load the dishwasher? You know, and you're just, you, you're like, I'm that type of person at times. If you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. Do you realize, here's an interesting thought. God is not like that. Here's the most perfect being ever, uh, supreme, almighty, can do everything right infinitely from now throughout eternity, could do it right every time, all the time, anytime, and yet chooses to not take that motto. He doesn't say, if I want to do something right, I've got to do it myself. You know what he does? He says, if I want to do something, I'm going to do it through them. He chooses us, the church, to work through. Now, isn't that amazing? That God in all of his perfection could do it right every time, all the time, whenever. And yet he says, you know what? I'll go, I'm going to use these guys. And I know they're going to screw it up. And I know they're going to mess up. And I know that sometimes they're going to get right and sometimes they're not. God wants to do something through us. God is writing a story today. Do you realize that? God is writing a good story in our generation. But you have to jump in the pages to be a part of it. I could put it this way. God is writing a good story. Here's the question for you and I. Am I just a reader of it or a character in it? Let me say that again. God is writing a good story. Am I a reader of it or a character in it? Because so many of us are just reading about the story that God is telling. We read about it in our Bible. That's fine. We read about other people who are living the story. That's fine. But when are we going to say yes and jump into the story? I'm not talking about 
our desires, for our story. I'm talking about when do we jump into the pages and we become a character in the story that God is writing? Because God wants to do that. So if we are going to be used by God, if we're going to be called out of boredom and frustration and into the adventure God has for us, I believe, and I'm going to give us five shifts in our thinking. Because you know that, that in order to live right, you got to first think right, okay? So we're going to shift in our thinking in five different ways, and these are just seeds to get us going in the right direction, out of boredom, into the adventure. And to do that, I'm going to show a, a video that I've shown before, but it sets up what I want to talk about. So let's roll. Ugh, I just can't get these numbers to add up. Like we're never going to get out of this hole. Credit card debt, does it ever end? <laughs> Maybe I can help. We sure could use it. We've tried debt consolidation companies. We've even taken out loans to help make payments. Well, you're not the only ones. Did you know millions of Americans live with debt they cannot control? That's why I developed this unique new program for managing your debt. It's called Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. Oh, let me see that. If you don't have any money, you should not buy anything. Sounds interesting. Sounds confusing. I don't know, honey. This makes a lot of sense. There's a whole section here on how to buy expensive things using money you save. Give me that. And where would you get this saved money? I tell you where and how in Chapter 3. Okay, but what if I want something but I don't have any money? You don't buy it. Well, let's say I don't have enough money to buy something. Should I buy it anyway? No. Now I'm really confused. It's a little confusing at first. Well, what if you have the money? Can you buy something? Yes. Now take the money away. Same story? Nope. You shouldn't buy stuff when you don't have the money. I think I got it. I buy something I want and then hope that I can pay for it, right? <laughs> no. You make sure you have money, then you buy it. Oh, then you buy it. But shouldn't you buy it before you have the money? No. Why not? It's in the book. It's only one page long. <laughs> the advice is priceless and the book is free. Wow, I like the sound of that. Yeah, we can put it on our credit card. <laughs> so get out of debt now. Write for your free copy of Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. And if you order now, you'll also receive Seriously. If you don't have the money, don't buy it along with a 12-month subscription to Stop Buying Stuff magazine. So order today. All right, so we are spenders all the time, right? I mean, it seems so simple that if you don't have it to spend, don't spend it, and yet our culture is full. Uh, it's, it's that simple, right? So in order for us to move out of frustration and boredom into safety, we've got to go from being a spender to a steward. And I'm not talking about money. What, what am I talking about? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. There's that word stewardship. Now, we use that in the areas of our finance or in the, the Bible. We talk about being a good steward or manager or stewardship. Now, I'm not talking about stewardship of money, and neither was Paul. Paul talks about this area of being a steward. He talks about stewarding the grace that God gives you. 
Stewardship of the grace or stewardship of the life that God is giving you, the ability and the empowerment from God that he's giving to you. Uh, we, we seem to just be spending, 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 spending our life in ways that, that all kinds of ways. We spend our life over sports. We spend our life in family. We spend our life in church. We spend our life working. We spend our life on vacation. We spend, spend, spend like we have unlimited amount of it. Listen, you do not have an unlimited amount of life. You have this life. Now, of course, we're not talking about eternity. We're talking about right here and now, but yet we're spending all the time. We're spending our life. We're spending our life. We're spending our life instead of being a steward of our life. We have to be good stewards of the life that God has given us if we want to live the adventure that God has for us. You see, you can't just spend your life in all these activities and then, wonder, and then leave no slice or no piece or no area where you could actually go out and have an adventure for God, where you'd actually have space in your brain to think about God things, and yet we're spending, spending, spending. Is there anybody here, by show of hands, who wants to waste their life? Anybody? There's nobody here that wants to waste their life. Any takers? No. We don't want to waste our life. We have to be good stewards of our life. You see, what we do is we spend and spend and spend and fill and fill and fill so much that we've even forgotten that there's an adventure out there to be had. We're so comfortable in our surroundings that we begin to think this is what the life is supposed to be. I I love this quote I heard a long time ago. It says, never tell a young person that something cannot be done. God may have been waiting for centuries for somebody ignorant enough of the impossible to do that thing. You see, we are spending our life in so many different ways instead of stewarding our life. Because God may want to do something through you that sounds impossible to somebody else, but we've left no space in our life to be able to accomplish those things. So many of us are just waiting for our ship to come in. Man, if God could just do this for my family, if he could just do this in my finances, just give me this job over here. And we're waiting, waiting, waiting for something to happen to us. But how many of you guys know that Noah, he didn't wait for his ship to come in. He built one, right? Because he knew God had something for him to do. And so he started to prepare. He started to be a good steward. I believe this. I believe that hell must be filled with regret. As people realize, wow, I spent and spent and spent my life on all those things. And I missed out on the adventure that God had for my life. Stewardship. You say, well, well, how do I know what I'm really spending my life on? How do I know? Or how do I change what I'm spending my life on? There's a little key And it's found right in this scripture in verse 1. It says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Do you realize that he was a prisoner, most likely in Rome, while he's writing the letter of Ephesians? But I want you to understand, he doesn't say, I'm a prisoner of Rome. He doesn't say, I'm a prisoner of the Gentiles. You see what he says there? He says, I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus. You see, stewardship of your life really comes down to who you are a prisoner of. Are you a prisoner to money? Are you a prisoner to your family? Are you a prisoner to good deeds? Are you a prisoner to the American dream? Are you a prisoner to your retirement? Are you a prisoner to whatever? If you become a prisoner of Christ Jesus, things start to sort themselves out. Instead of spending our life in so many areas that we've become a prisoner of, whenever you become a prisoner of Jesus Christ, all of a sudden you start spending your life for Jesus. And that rearranges everything. All right. The next thing is this in verse three. It says, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation 
as I have written briefly. When you read this, or when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. There's a lot there. Some of that we talked about last week. Uh, What I really want to pull out of this is this idea. It talks about the Gentiles being heirs of the promise and the spirit and the prophet, all these things, all these key words. Let Let me start off by backing up and asking you a question. If Jesus died, how many of you guys believe Jesus died and rose again? He paid the price for all my sins. How many of you guys believe that? That's a fact. How many of you guys are followers of Jesus? You've said yes to Jesus. You, be, you surrender your life to Jesus. All right. Now, if you believe that Jesus died for your sins, he paid the price. You've started to follow Jesus and you've received Jesus. And yet you, you live pre-cross or pre-gospel. What is that like? Well, that's like we talked about working for grace is living as if Jesus hasn't died yet. Working good works to try to pay off my sin is living as if the cross has not happened yet. And so many believers, quote unquote, are following after Jesus, quote unquote, and yet we are still working for grace. And we're living pre-gospel. How many of you guys think we ought to live post-gospel, right? In other words, that we ought to, because we've received grace, then we do good works. We talked about that uh, a couple weeks ago. Because we've received grace, then we do good works. We don't work for grace. And too many people are living pre-gospel lives, and what it's producing inside of you is death, Because sin leads to death. And if you are trying to work off your sin, you're just experiencing a certain level of death in your life instead of the life that God has for you. Now, in the same respect, if the Holy Spirit came and was given, but your life is no different because of that, it's the same thing as if you were living pre-Pentecost. What's Pentecost? Acts chapter 2, Jesus had ascended. The Holy Spirit was given. They were empowered for the work of of the ministry, they were empowered to live the adventure, in other words. You see, if you are still working off your sin, you're living as if Jesus died in vain. If you're still working off your sin, you're still living as if it doesn't even matter that Jesus died and rose again for you, because you're still working off your sin. You don't have to work off your sin. Jesus paid the price for your sin. But listen, some of you in this room may still be living as if the Holy Spirit hasn't been given yet. You're living pre-Pentecost life instead of post-Pentecost life. And and if the Holy Spirit hasn't changed anything in your life, if you don't have any more empowerment by the Holy Spirit, then you are living as if the Holy Spirit was given in vain. And you're living a pre-Pentecost life. You know, it uses words here like revelation, revealed by the Spirit, partakers in the promise. Talking about the Holy Spirit all in these areas right here. Do you realize that God gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit, and then he also gave us the gifts of the Holy Spirit. What are the gifts for? They're to be empowered to live the adventure. You don't need the gifts of the Spirit if you're living in the safety of the shire of your life. You just don't. You don't need the gifts of the Spirit. You don't need the Holy Spirit. If you're just going to follow after the American dream, and you're just going to go and just do what everybody else is doing, and try to be quote-unquote normal, you don't need the Holy Spirit for that. You don't even need Jesus for that. 
Is that true or not? I mean, is that true? I mean, if you just want to live a good life, be normal, have a certain number of, a certain number of kids, a house, and not, you don't need Jesus for that. You don't need the Holy Spirit for that. Many people are doing it without Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So what? Are you living a pre-gospel life? Are you living a pre-Pentecost life? Or are you living a post-gospel life and a post-Pentecost life? That's what we have to have if we want to live the adventure that God has. Number three, shift in our thinking. We have to go from receiver to reproducer. Now, we have a lot of kids in this church. I'm not talking about that. Okay, just getting that out of the way. We're just, you guys need to lighten up this morning. All right. Receiver to reproducer. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 2. It's found in this scripture again. Pay very close attention to this, okay? It says, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace. There's that word stewardship. Just talked about that. The stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Let's focus in on this again. Paul was given grace that wasn't for him. He was given grace that was for somebody else. Let let me put it this way, a strong way. God's grace that he wants to give you may not be for you. God's grace may not be for you. Oh, he has some for you, but he may be giving you grace right now that's not just for you. You know, grace, that word, you know, you you talk about unmerited favor or whatever. It it also means ability. It's God's empowerment. Do you realize that God may be giving you deposits of grace that are not for you? They are for somebody else. And yet we live in a culture that mainly what we do is receive, receive, receive. Receive. Whatever environment, oh, we, we put different labels on it and we act like we're, you know, giving, 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 and I'm going to get back. You know, no, we are always receiving, it seems like. God has grace, maybe, that's not for you. And he wants you to give it to somebody else. David Platt, he wrote in his book, Radical, he was talking about a time when he was over in Sudan. And he was teaching a bunch of believers. And as he was teaching for a long time, no one was making eye contact with him. Everyone's head was down the whole time. And so he's teaching, he's kind of confused by this, and he's teaching them the whole time. He finally gets done, and he asks them. He's like, why isn't anybody making eye contact with me? And they begin to say, they said, because we are doing the most we can, the best we can, to write down everything you're saying word for word, because we're going to take this and go share it with other people. You see, they understood something. They understood that Maybe they weren't supposed to be sitting in a church service and just taking notes for them. I would guess some people are taking notes, actually hardly anybody, but somebody might be taking notes here this morning. And if you are, if I had to guess, now correct me if I'm wrong, if I had to guess, you're taking notes for you. And that's great. We're to be equipped and to learn and all that stuff. I would be shocked if someone was here throughout the services today, and I said, you know what, Pastor Sean, the reason I'm taking notes is because I'm expecting this week to encounter somebody who God gave this to me on Sunday so that I can give to them on Monday. See, that's going from being a receiver to a reproducer. That's going to contrast the Sudan church with the American church. Here's a novel idea. What if you are here on Sundays to hear a sermon not for you? What if you're here on Sunday to hear a sermon for someone else, for your friend at work or for your family member? What if that's why you're here, to hear a message for someone else? Not just to soak up how I can make my life better, how I can make my family better, how I can make my situation better, how I can change my thing. You know, all that's good. We need to do that. But we've got to move from receiver to reproducer. How many of you guys have ever uh, 
mistakenly accepted something before. I'll give, give you an example. A friend of mine years ago, I don't know why this sticks in my mind. A friend of mine years ago, he went to some big sporting thing here in Kansas City, some, not the soccer thing, but some sports thing, and they had a bunch of uh, you know, professional baseball players and different people up there signing stuff, and he came back and he showed me he had two lanyards. He has one that was a lanyard from the event, and then one of them that was like a signed lanyard from the event, and it had George Brett's signature on it. I've got it in my office. It has George Brett's signature on it, Buck O'Neill's signature on it, and he's telling me, he's showing me these lanyards. He's like, this is amazing, and so I'm, I'm looking at them. I'm holding them. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty cool. I don't, I'm not even really into baseball. I think that's kind of cool, you know, George Brett and Buck O'Neill and all that, and so, and he says, and I, so I brought one for you, and so I'm like, dude, this is amazing. Thank you so much, and, and so I'm holding on to it. I'm holding on to the George Brett and the Buck O'Neill, I'm like, thank you so much, so much. And then he walked out of the room, kind of acting weird, and I'm like, maybe this one wasn't for me. <laughs> maybe he was giving me the other one, and he was keeping the signed one for himself. And it felt awkward in that moment. Have you guys ever had a moment like that? And I realized, oh, I still have it to this day and still have never asked about it. But I'm thinking, maybe this wasn't for me. Here's the question. What are you receiving that's not for you? of the word of God, maybe even this morning. What are you receiving when you listen to that podcast or read that book or whatever? This not for you. This actually for someone else. You see, you'll never, you'll, you'll never leave boredom and safety and security if all you do is think that I'm here just to receive. You'll never go into the adventure that God has until you, you, you know, it's great to be filled up. It's great to be filled up. It's great to soak it up. But I'm telling you, that's not discipleship. Is God calling us to make disciples or not? Yes, he's calling it. And if God is calling us to make disciples, that means we've got to take something and give something. There's got to be a moment where something shifts in our thinking that this is not for me. This grace deposited, this encouragement deposited, this word deposited is not for me, it's for somebody else. Because why? Because God wants to use you, not just feed you. God wants to use you, not just feed you. All right, number four, that was popular, so we'll go on to number four. Number four is we have to go from little to large. I got a quick video to show and illustrate this. Miss Pinewood, recently many of the local restaurants have changed their small size option to a whopping 64 ounces. That's correct. And it's great for the consumer. More bang for the buck. Are we putting bargains on trial here? How could any sane person call that small? Well, if the customer truly wants a smaller size, there is an option. Oh, do you mean the little swallow? Does anybody buy that? Some girls buy them for their dollhouses, but they're not very popular. I mean, for only a nickel more, you get 64 ounces. Well, uh, Ponchburger just recently came out with a new 128 ounce option. Most people call it a gallon, but they call it the regular. Then there is a horrifying 512 ounce version that they call child size. How is this a child size soda? Well, it's roughly the size of a two-year-old child if the child were liquefied. It's a real bargain at 159. I'm sorry, Miss Pinewood, but why would anybody need this much soda? It's not my place to speak for the consumer, but everyone should buy it. Uh. <laughs> All right, so how many of you guys ever go to, go to a fast food place and you're like, supersize me, right? Supersize me or make it bigger or what? Okay, I'm just me. All right, I'm the unhealthy person. I got it. All right, I'll take it. Uh, 
Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7 says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the least of all the saints, the grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things. So we've got to go from little to large. But what do I mean by that? Paul here, he talks about how he was the least of all the saints. Why was he the least of all the saints? Well, maybe he thought of that because maybe he was like killing Christians beforehand or whatever. I mean, there's several reasons for that. But he said, I'm the least of all the saints. And I think a lot of us, we think of ourselves as the least of all the saints. We think, well, I'm, you know, I'm not so-and-so or I haven't done that or I haven't done this. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to stick to doing little things for God. Now, there's nothing wrong with little things. In fact, as we'll learn here in just a second, if you, have you guys know that if you are faithful in the little things, God will give you much, right? I mean, it's the little things that make a, a big difference. And so we start thinking of ourselves as least and thinking of ourselves as uh, the, the little things. But we have to be willing to do big things for God if we want to live an adventure. You will never live an adventure doing small things for God. You will never live an adventure doing small things for God. Jesus wants to use his church and flow through it with power. God's power is flowing through the adventure that he wants you to live. But I'm telling you, God's adventure for you is not a little thing. It's a large thing. Uh, Acts chapter 10, verse 34, it says, So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Do you realize that God will use whoever is willing? It doesn't matter if you think you're the least of the saints. It doesn't matter if you think all I can do is little things for God. He will use whoever is willing. This parable, Luke chapter 16, talks about if you are faithful in little, you'll be what? Faithful in much. All right? Faithful in little, faithful in much. Verse 10 says it this way. One who's faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. We see this true in all of life. How many of you guys have seen this in your kids? If you can get them to do the little things, then all of a sudden you start to give them a little more rope and trust them with bigger things. If they can show up on time, if they can be a person of their word, you might extend their, their curfew just a little bit longer. We see this in our workplaces. If I'm faithful in little things, eventually that's going to be recognized and I'll be given more responsibility. If I'm faithful in my marriage, you get, you get more love. You know, you just experience more love with one another, the more faithfulness that happens, okay? So here's the deal. I think the problem is, is that most of us just stay stuck in the little. And we forget the end of that parable. It says to be faithful in little. But you know what the little is supposed to lead to? Much. It's supposed to lead to big things. It's supposed to lead to big thinking. It's supposed to lead to bigger things. And we get stuck in living the little because we have a least of the saints identity. And we get stuck doing the small things for God. You know, God is no respecter of persons. He will use whoever is willing to do not just little, but the large things. Think about Gideon. Gideon in scripture, he is the least of the least. He's the least in his clan, the least in his household, the least in his family, and he's happy to do the little things. He's sitting in a little wine press doing a little job And he's happy, completely happy, doing the little things, not being noticed. And maybe that's who you are this morning. Like, I'm just happy being the least of the least of the least, being doing a little thing and not being noticed at all. And that's fine with me. You will never live an adventure from the wine press. 
You will never live an adventure just doing the little things. At some point, your thinking has to adjust and to start thinking of big things. You see, Gideon's a good picture of a hobbit in the shire, happy in the safety, happy in the predictable, happy just to hide. But God wants us to think bigger. We have to dream again. I was listening to a preacher a couple weeks ago, and he said that God spoke to him and told him to write down 100 dreams that he had. He's like, oh, I'm a dreamer. Okay, this is going to be fun. He goes down and he starts to, to write down 100 dreams. One, and he writes down one and another one. He gets to about four or five, and then he kind of has to stop and think a little bit. And he's like, huh, I don't, I don't know. He gets up and he starts walking around and praying for a little bit. Then he comes up with another dream that he has, and, and then he, he writes another one. And then he gets stumped, and he realizes, I don't really have that many dreams. I thought I did. Maybe one time I did. I don't really have that many dreams. So I started to think about this. Can I just be honest with you this morning? I started thinking about that after he said that. I was like, well, I'm, gonna, I'm a dreamer. I, I think big. I, I'm going to write down some dreams. I'm going to see if I can write down 100 dreams. And so I, I was like, I don't, I don't even have one. I'm trying to think. I'm just, I'm thinking, and I'm praying, and I'm thinking, and I'm praying. Now, guys, I'm not talking about American dreams. Those are easy. More. That's probably about all you need to say right there. If I could have more of this, more of that, bigger, more, more. I'm not talking about bigger and more in that way. I'm not talking about American dreams. I'm talking about God dreams, okay? Because God's dream for you isn't just bigger and better and more and more. That's not God-filled dreams. It may include some of those things, but if that's, that's not the dreams I'm talking about. Those are easy. You don't even have to think about those. All you have to do is just scroll through Facebook and find somebody else's dreams and start living that. And most likely, again, because everybody wants to be normal, everybody's going for the same thing anyway. And we showcase it like as if that's success. That is not success, okay? Boy, I, I'm preaching pretty good this morning. I thought nobody else likes it. I like it, so I'll just keep preaching it. So you guys are already sitting down, so you got no choice. Um, I'm talking about God dreams. And so I'm like going through and I'm saying, God, yes, I have dreams for our church to grow because, you know, that's kind of what I'm overseeing. But you know what? If I'm just, I'll just be honest with you. I, I'm supposed to think that. I have dreams for my family to be healthy and to, to be on track and following up. But I'm supposed to think that. And I had to stop and say, when was the last time I really got with God and had God drop some real God dreams in me? Where God actually filled me up with his dreams. Of course, I'm supposed to believe God for things to be better, but when is there a God? And so I was like, man, I need to work on We're going to be talking about that next week a lot more as we finish up chapter 3. But I started realizing I have just been going through the motions when it comes to Enlarged, when it comes to God dreams, when it comes to dreams for my family, when it comes to dreams for our church, when it comes to dreams for the adventure. I've just been going through what's expected. And if we do that, that's fine. Bigger, more, more, bigger bank account, bigger house, more cars, more whatever, and still just being left empty on the inside. You'll get to the end of your life, and you'll have... You, you, you'll have to sign it all over to someone else. You know that's the result of everything you're accumulating right now? Somebody else gets it. That's it. That's it. That's the, that's the win at the end is that somebody else gets it. And yet 
God wants us to live an adventure that's so much richer than that, so much better than that, so much deeper than that. But in order to do that, we have to just stop dreaming by default and allowing God to infuse us with his dreams. All right. What happens, though, is we stop dreaming (laughs) because of life happening. Have you guys had times where you used to dream with God, and then all of a sudden you had maybe a failure, you had an experience, you had life happen, you had a problem, you tried you try to dream in your marriage, you tried to, to step out, but then all of a sudden life happened. You tried to dream, in your, and then life happened, and then experience happened, and then a bad thing happened, and a bad thing happened over here. And so what happens as a result of that is we end up extremely cautious. I want to be very, very cautious. And what we do is we, because of our experiences, we set the bar really low because we don't want to be disappointed with God when it doesn't happen. Because it'd be unholy if we were disappointed with God. We don't want to be disappointed with God. So I'm going to lower the bar and be extremely cautious. And what happens is we end up, (laughs) we end up being bored and frustrated, bored and frustrated. So how can we move beyond that, beyond that caution? Well, I've got a last video, kind of went youth pastor on you today with all of my videos, but uh, last video, it's four minutes long, but it's worth it. and just kind of explains how we can be sometimes. So let's roll. future. I'm here to warn you, don't eat that food. Why not? The eggs. They're full of cholesterol. What? Cholesterol. It it clogs up your arteries. Eating even just one egg can dramatically increase your chance of heart attack. Don't eat eggs. Oh my god. Thank you. You're welcome. Godspeed. Well, I guess I better take those eggs. Wait! Stop! You're back! Yeah. We were wrong about the eggs. How? Well, it turns out there's two types of cholesterol. There's good cholesterol and bad cholesterol, and eggs actually have both. So you can eat eggs, but just don't eat the egg yolks. So t- stick with the egg whites. Thank- yes, thank you. Yeah. Godspeed! Yeah, yeah, okay, so it turns out that the amount of cholesterol in a food doesn't actually affect how much cholesterol ends up in your blood. The eggs are probably fine. In fact, we sort of don't even know what cholesterol is. But the steak! You can't eat the steak! Why not? Turns out that red meat increases your chance of heart attack. You have to cut out red meat, so no steak! Thank you. Godspeed. What? No, no steak, mister. What? Wait! We were wrong about the steak. It's the toast. Man was not meant to eat bread. What do you mean? 
mean man was not meant to eat bread? Well, if you think about it, human beings should really only be eating what our Paleolithic ancestors ate. So, therefore, no bread, no toast. How do you know what our Paleolithic ancestors ate? Well, we, we just have to guess, right? I mean, we don't have any way of knowing what... They are not doing well. I don't know what we were thinking. If anything, we should all be eating a lot more bread. Jeez. So I guess just um, ignore everything I've said and exercise. Exercise, okay. Yeah. Yeah, you guys could probably use it. You've been just sitting here for the last 35 years. It's been five minutes. Right. Time travel. All right, well. Godspeed! Turns out it's genetic. Doesn't matter whether you exercise or what you eat. I'm sorry I ruined your meal. I need 10 minutes. Do you want some eggs? <laughs> All right. How many of you guys are just scared to eat anything anymore, right? It's like everything. If you just just wait long enough, they're going to tell you that the last thing was good and the, 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 now the thing that was bad is now good and the thing that was good is now bad. And so what happens is we just get cautious about everything. I think that's the way it is in our lives. We, we have all these experiences and people say, oh, I tried, I tried this in my marriage. I tried to step out and I failed there, so I'm going to be really cautious in my marriage. I tried this in the friendship and I'm, it didn't work out, so I'm going to be really cautious in my friendship. I tried to step out at church and tried to, and so I'm going to be really cautious there. I tried to believe God for this and then now I'm going to be really cautious. We have to, if we want to live the adventure, we have to go from caution to confidence. We will never step out and live the adventure. We will stay in the safety. We will stay in the predictability. We will stay exactly in our boundaries where it's safe, predictable, and comfortable if we never move beyond caution and start walking in confidence. We have to have confidence through faith that what God is calling us to, that he's going to equip us for. Ephesians 3, 11 through 12, it says, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom, here it is, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Does that describe you? Do you have boldness, access before God, which leads to confidence before God, for such a, a powerful God? You see, if we're going to go from little to large, we have to have confidence to do it. We're not going to ever step out into something. We're never going to pray for somebody who needs healing. We're never going to step out and, and to take a big step of faith and to risk something if we don't have confidence before God. It, we have to have confidence. Any, anybody who, has, uh, who takes the presence of God lightly might not be serving the right God. That's on the one side. And so what we do is like, well, God is powerful and holy and all this type of stuff, and I can't have confidence before him. Do you realize that we get to have confidence before this all-powerful God, the weighty presence of God, because of the blood of Jesus Christ? Because he gave us that beautiful word, access. We talked about that the last couple of weeks. He gave us access. 
But some of us in this room are afraid of getting too close to God. We're afraid of getting too spiritual. We're afraid of stepping out too far into the things of God. Why? Because we're afraid of being weird. Have you guys have ever met somebody who seemed to step out or you read a story about somebody who really stepped out into the things of God and you're like, that's weird. I don't want to be them, right? I don't, I don't think there's anybody here who wants to be weird. I don't, I don't want to be weird. And so what we end up doing is we kind of think that if you get too far into the things of God, I mean, there's some weird stuff in here, right? I mean, if you get too close to God, that he might ask you to be weird, and we think God is weird, super spiritual, and if we get into all this weird, I don't want to be weird. And so we begin to think that God is weird, and if I want to get too close to God, then I'm also going to be weird, and so I want to stay in my safe little subdivision life and keep everything safe. Let me give you a thought I had years ago. Just track with me, if you will. Okay, use your imagination logically for just a second. First of all, let's lay the foundation. How many of you guys believe in God, that he exists, and that he created the world? Anybody? All right, just go on record right now. You're in church. If you're going to go on record anytime, that's a good place to do it. We believe God created everything. Everything has come from God. Now, I'm not going to get into sin. and evil. I'm just talking about God created the universe with his words. God created. We, we think, well, if I go and do all this stuff for God, I'm going to be weird. I'm going to be weird. But God created everything. Everything comes from God. If everything comes from God, then God is the most normal thing in the universe. If everything started off with God, if we were to put all of it back into God's mouth, everything came from God, that means God is the most normal thing in the universe. That means anything that comes from God is the most normal thing that ever happens in this universe. So all of the things that we see in Scripture that have come from God, we think they're weird sometimes. They're, in fact, the most normal things that could happen in our universe. They're the most normal things. Why? Because they came from the first. They came from the standard. God is the standard for all things. You see, the further away we get from God, the weirder we are. The closer you get to God, the more normal you are. What God is calling us to when he asks us to, to when, he, when he wants us to live large, when he wants us to step into the adventure, when he wants us to, to experience all the things in the Bible, you know what he's calling us to? He's calling us to get back to normal. The closer you draw near to God, the more normal you become. The further away from God, the weirder you are. Because you're abnormal because everything emanates from God. Now, you might, if you're struggling with that right now, if you're struggling, then I will question whether you actually believe in God or not. I will question that because if you really believe that God created everything, then everything that comes from God is the most normal thing that happens, and everything that does not come, everything that's the further away from God is the weirder things. And what we do is we flip it around. Why do we flip it around? Sin, fear, caution, and we want to be normal by the world's standards. How about we start to be normal by God's standards. How about we start to lean in and say, God, what is normal? And most of the time we lack access or we lack confidence because we don't really believe we have access to that type of relationship with God. Do you realize that as a child of God, you have access to everything about God? You have access. 
My kids in my house, whenever I lock the doors at night and I go to sleep, they have an incredible amount of access to me. In my most vulnerable moments when I'm asleep, when you know if you are at like a junior high sleepover, you never go to sleep because that's your most vulnerable moment and anything can happen to you in a moment like that. So in your most vulnerable moments when you are asleep and you are off guard, my kids have incredible access to me when I'm in that moment. They could come in if they have a bad dream or they want to drink water or they want some waffles or whatever it is they want. You know, they just, it's random. But they could come in and they have incredible amount of access to me. But anyone else, if you show up when I'm sleeping in the middle of the night, after I've locked my doors, you don't have that access to me. You might get a gift you didn't want. And uh, I'm not going to go any further than that. You might be surprised about that gift that you get. Uh, Because you were supposed to be outside. Now, we used to be enemies of God. Now we've been invited in as kids. I want you to see that you have an incredible amount of access to all the normalcy that God has to offer. God wants you to walk in a new normal, but if you're going to do that, you have to move beyond caution and start walking in some confidence because you have that access. So let's finish up here in verse 13. It says, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is for your glory. You see that we lose heart. Why do, we, why do we have caution in our relationship with God? Caution in our life? Staying aboard, frustrating life? We have caution because of one word, and it's called condemnation. One last scripture, 1 John 3.21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. I want you to know what it didn't say. It doesn't say if, if God does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. It says our heart, because God does not condemn you. Can you receive that this morning? I know you know that up here, but can you receive it here? That God does not condemn you. The only time you feel condemnation is when your own heart begins to tell you and you begin to believe the lies of the enemy that says you're not, you don't have access. You don't have God gave you access. So I'm going to have the worship team come back up, and I'm going to give you an assignment this week, all right? You ready for an assignment? Let me review, and then I'll give you your assignment. If we want to live the adventure, we've got to have five shifts in thinking, spender to stewardship, pre-Pentecost to post-Pentecost, receiver to reproducer, little to large, and caution to confidence. And here's what I want you to do. You could take out your phone, and you can set a reminder for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and everyone, I want you, just, if you want to participate, in order for real change to happen in our life, we have to meditate on, on things. We have to think deeply about. So you can take and set a reminder on your phone for Monday that you're going to think about going from, how, how am I spending my life? I'm going from spender, how am I stewarding my life to live the adventure God has called me? How am I stewarding my life? Am I creating opportunities for God to move? Am I creating space in my life? Then on Tuesday, a reminder is going to pop up on your phone. And hundreds of people this week are going to be thinking about the same thing you're thinking about. Hundreds of people from Journey Church are going to be meditating on, am I living a pre-Pentecost life? Am I trying to do this adventure with God without the Holy Spirit? And hundreds of people are going to be thinking about how can I invite the Holy Spirit to empower me this week? What would that look like in my life? And you might start studying scriptures. 
you might start saying, well, what does it mean to live post Pentecost? What does it mean to be empowered by the Holy Spirit? Then Wednesday, you're going to come up and you're going to, that, that reminder is going to pop up and you're going to be thinking, man, am I just receiving all the time? Or am I actively making disciples? Am I receiving so that I can give? Freely I've received, freely give. Am I becoming a reproducer of what God is wanting to do in me? Am I reproducing that in the lives of my kids, in the light of, lives of my family, my friends, my coworkers? And hundreds of people are going to be thinking about re- being reproducers of the gospel instead of just receivers. Thursday is going to come along and we're going to be thinking about, man, am I just doing little things? What would it look like if I were to dream? What would it look like if I had to write down 100 God dreams, not American dreams, but God dreams? What would that look like? And what's going to happen is hundreds of people that day, all of a sudden the possibilities are going to start expanding right here in our church. We're going to come in next Sunday when we start talking about Ephesians chapter 3, where it starts talking about how God can do amazingly beyond what we can even imagine. Some of you guys are going to come on, come into that Sunday believing that just a little bit more. God may give you creative ideas. God may give you large thoughts. You realize if God created everything, he can give you a creative idea. <laughs> he can give you thoughts you never thought of. And then Friday, we're going to come... And we're going to all be thinking about, am I living just a cautious life? Man, I've got confidence before God. I'm going to hold my head up high and I'm going to walk in confidence on Friday. What would happen if hundreds of people in this area from our church walked around with confidence before God on Friday? And we're at the grocery store walking around with confidence before God. We'd already been thinking about doing large things for God. We'd already been thinking about stewarding our life in such a way that we'd create space to be able to be used by God. We'd already been thinking about thinking larger. We'd already been thinking about reproducing and giving things away. And then all of a sudden we walk in on Friday and in our workplaces and in our homes and in our schools and, and, and wherever we were at, all of a sudden we were walking around with confidence, just believing that whatever God asked me to do, just like a little kid, just whatever my dad asked me to do, I think it's gonna work. He wants me to pray for something, I think it's gonna work. He wants me to see a miracle. I think it's going to work. He wants me to to speak a word into somebody's life. I think it's going to work. I think it's going to produce fruit. And we walk around with confidence. What would happen if hundreds of people went through that process this week? Do you think our church would look a little bit different by next Sunday? I believe it would. I believe your life would look different by next Sunday. I believe your family would look different by next Sunday. I believe inside of you. You know, Smith Wigglesworth said, we're a thousand times bigger on the inside than the outside. That's because you have capacity that you don't even understand to believe God, for God to do big things. So would you stand with me as we close in prayer? And I want you just to think about that. You can take a picture of that or whatever, meditate on that. And I believe God's gonna do something this week. I'm I'm walking out of this place with expectation that this next week is gonna be amazing. It's gonna be amazing. Lord, I thank you so much for the access that we have in you, that you died on the cross, you rose from the dead, you paid the price for our sins. You give us that access. We don't walk around in condemnation. We walk around in confidence. We we don't walk around selfishly, but we walk around looking for who we can give this out to. Lord, we don't walk around with little thoughts. We walk around with large thoughts because we serve a large, incredible, expansive God. We don't walk around uh, in our own strength, but we walk around empowered by the Holy Spirit. We don't walk around just spending, spending, spending our time however we want, but God, we wanna be good stewards of what you've given us. 
Lord, I expect that by the time we come in here next week, that our lives are going to be enlarged with more capacity to see and to live the adventure that you have for us, God. Lord, I call these people out of boredom, out of frustration, and into the adventure right now. Lord, I pray that people would be encouraged this morning with the substance that is the very life of God, understanding that they can live from the life of God, from the life of God, from the Holy Spirit power, and not our own strength. Lord, we thank you for that. We rest in that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship one more time. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com.